Hello and welcome to the Lost Air Podcast. I'm Garen. I'm here with Paul. How are you? And uh, this week we're doing it slightly different from ordinary. We are doing five songs instead of six. That may be a reoccurring thing that happens because podcasts were getting mm. a little bit out of control. They were getting a little bit too long. Yeah. And um, like six songs each. I felt like sometimes I was throwing a sixth one on just to make up the six. I'm like, you know what? Yeah. yeah. Like some point, listen, if, if if five will work, we'll stick with five. If we need six, we'll use the six. But uh, exactly. we're getting a little bit long. We always tried to aim for like an hour and a bit, and th- there's been a few there now that were a fucking two. Going over hours the two long. hours, yeah. Which is, yeah. it's all right. Listen, you have a week to, uh, you have a week to listen to it, so you don't have to listen to it all in, uh, in one go. And then you've got the playlist to go with. So that's like realistically, time wise, it's a fierce amount of content um, that you're getting in one kind of blast. Uh, so yeah, we're going to have five songs each uh, this evening. And uh, we'll see what happens next week, but I think five might be might be the standard from now on. Yeah, could be because um, we've done a few before. We put ten in each, and all. we went to, <laughs> went to be a fucking mad on a, on a couple of occasions. Um, <laughs> this week's show uh, is called "Do the Robot," and it's about uh, bands or acts that embraced electronic music and kind of went in that direction. Um, Maybe they were yes. known for one style of music beforehand. They decided to do an experimental album, or maybe the band yeah. moved in that direction entirely um but yeah do the robot um, yeah i always found that interesting i always found bands that like either felt like they had to embrace electronic especially around the 90s to early 2000s yeah um you saw some doing it and sometimes they should not have so sometimes they didn't do it right yeah there's, there's, a, there's a couple on this playlist that um are kind of curveballs and there's a couple that are really good actually your first one that's going to come up now in a minute i actually enjoyed that listen to it earlier um, there was two or three yeah. on here that, that from yeah. your list that pleasantly surprised me. I uh, my ones are what are my ones? I mean, I'm looking at them here. One of them is a complete curveball. Um, one of them is a complete curveball. The other one is an argument. Um, <laughs> looking at the list here, <laughs> one is actually better better than it has any right to be, and one is fucking shocking. Yeah. Um. So I, I I have a good mix there, and I see you've you've a great mix here now as well. You've crossed a lot of different spectrums, um, with your list here this evening as well. Um, so yeah, we've got, like there's there's a couple of like if I, I could have picked the sixth one, but realistically, the yeah, last five, one. Yeah, five. I'll mention, anyway. I'll mention it, but five is grand. I think to be honest. My with you. Yeah. my my last one's half an hour long, man. That'll cover both of us for oh, our sixth one. Yeah. So um, having like a little, I I wanted to I wanted to read up about like how electronic music started before. Yeah before all of these acts decided to jump on a bandwagon. Not always, but sort of. They all sort of did. Yes. Like, I don't think anyone... I don't think any of these... Most of these artists are rock artists. I don't think any of them sort of revolutionized electronic music. It had already started without them, realistically. They jumped on yeah. it. Some of them did it well. Them. But it did start in the late 60s, and that's with the, like, the Termin and the Mellotron Yes, and the yes. Moog synthesizers came in. That's kind of gave a synthy sound. Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean it's electronic music, but they are electronic instruments. So yeah. <clears throat> it is a huge part of it. Um, then in the seventies, you had a lot of synthesizers and the start of drum machines as well. And in the eighties, you had everything. Like you could make a whole song, you know, with just yeah, exactly thing. So I, I was reading up about like the first album to use the Moog. And it was actually, uh, I thought it was The Doors' Strange Days, but it doesn't really count because it was only used to sort of warp Jim Morrison's voice. Using yeah, yeah. The thing. So, but the first one to actually use them as, as a, 
like the Moog properly as, as a keyboard was um, Morg Garrison's The Zodiac Sessions Cosmic mm. Sounds. Cool. There we go. So there's a bit of a tip if you know. Yeah. 1968, sorry, 1967, um, they have to have an actual Moog programmer there, like to program That's it right, there. Yeah. It's not, yeah. not an actual keyboard. Yeah. Um, electronic albums, like through the years, sort of, electronic albums really only started in the 80s, I think, but Craftwork showed you in the 70s. With their, their first album in 1970 showed you you don't even need guitars, and that could have made people go, fuck, right, yeah, what can exactly. we do more? Craftwork um, are definitely on the top of the hill. You've got guys like Thomas Dalby and stuff like that as well. That yeah, yeah. Building yeah, their own as well, who are absolutely noisy as well, I suppose. Like, yeah. There's a lot of them. Um, the first album that used a drum machine for all the percussion was Kingdom Comes Journey. From 1972, and that used a drum machine called the Bentley Rhythm Ace. <laughs> so that's where they that's where they got their name from. And uh, Kingdom Come is uh, Arthur Brown from the Crazy World of Arthur mm. Brown. So uh, the first album to use to, to to use the most samples extensively, like like a load of samples in every song, mm. was uh, Stevie Wonder's Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants from 1979. Mm. So realistically, what you're talking is the 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 roadmap to electronic music was started from 67 to 79. Yeah. To, or to 80, really. Like, to, yeah, 79. Like, that's when people started. Because 79 was the last year, really, that, that, that shit was mad expensive. Because yeah. in the 80s, electronic equipment became so cheap. People could experiment more. They weren't going out to buy crazy exp- expensive keyboards and stuff like that. So yeah. that's why the 80s is fucking awesome. It had a lot of people making music in their bedroom basically and then bringing it into the studio which is what i do, <laughs> what I still do. and uh yeah so that's that's it from 70 67 to 79 you saw the introduction of it and then the 80s exploded in the 90s because it was cheap like Deep, exactly japanese fucking keyboards and all awesome awesome yeah. stuff yeah so that's my little rundown of like how electronic music sort of came to be before yeah. we get into why some of these artists who didn't start off that way did exactly. who is your uh well, it's me. No, it's, me. it's you going first. So, um, yeah. So, okay. What are we looking you, you at? Looking at five. Okay, yeah. So, who is your first one? Sorry, yeah. My first one is you two with the song "Mofo" from Pop from nineteen ninety seven. I loved the album Pop. I really yeah. have always loved it since I heard it as a teenager. And uh, remember the time? Not I wasn't trying to be edgy. I just loved electronic music so much that I preferred it to, to other. U2 albums but yeah. I didn't really I just thought I did you know that way yeah, yeah yeah so so after acting I find a lot of these artists the, the songs I picked were from the electronic album but they had dabbled in it a little bit before yeah and we'll get into that it's happened a few times now so U2's pop album 1997 pop wasn't the first time that they used electronic because as a lot of people will know it was the Zeropa album that's right uh, yeah. in 93 it was 93 or 94 that was it maybe 94 I can't remember um that it was the first time that they kind of started dabbling in it. And it wasn't hugely... I think that's a good album as well. I didn't really give Zeropa much of a go until mm. a while ago when I was like... I remember the songs Numb and Lemon, and I liked them a lot. Yeah. Um, and I knew that they were electronic, and but not known as a kid. No one really pulled them up on it, because it was still U2. It was... Bono was singing a little bit differently. It was still quite... All the songs on Zeropa are quite dark as well. So they didn't get kind of called out for being piss takers like they yeah, did yeah. with pop because when pop came out people didn't know what the fuck to do with it <laughs> they absolutely did, really didn't 
I really think that in 93 was the opening where I had the curve. I did. I think mm. not many rock bands were doing electronic stuff in 93. Not really. We'll to one later, but so, like, that's a, that's a fucking four-year difference to get to, uh, to get to how, pop. how quick things turn around, isn't it? Yeah, but this so so like zero, but they got away with it. There was still a load of kind of ballady songs in it as well, like that. It was also it felt like an extension of the Zoo TV tour, mm. where they start sort of started using. That's where they started using electronic more for the intros to songs and stuff like that, and the background it suit with the kind of crazy big fucking lemon thing that they had. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the '97 whip pop. That absolutely true a lot of people because that's quite heavy on the electronics yeah. and the samples and drum beats and stuff like that and it is as the name suggests quite poppy the disco tech came out and it really fucking it split it split the crowd like Big it time. really did yeah i remember people hating on it all the old yeah. school youtube people like the yeah. fuck is this because not only was it youtube being humorous for the first time they had tongue-in-cheek stuff with hold me thrill me kiss me kill me uh, mm. uh which is their best song Yes, their best song. Don't care what anyone says. The ground beneath her feet may be gone, maybe not, but it's, it's definitely. It's not who's going to ride, ride your royal horses. That is a banger, though. Yeah, it is. But look, we can all talk about like all of our favorite ones because he did have a troubled grown up uh, on in a contour for the orange man. Love him and stuff, you know. So sorry, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, that was a uh, Bon Jovi came in with a wild anecdote that. It was, he was kind of comparing himself his hard life in the Bronx to the hard life of uh, Bono being beaten up by Orange Man uh, well growing up in Fingless and uh, going to school in Malahoyed and maybe <laughs> hanging around Clark no, Glass Nevin wasn't again. it Glass Nevin Fingless Fingless yeah, yeah. It's not, he wasn't battered by Orange Man anywhere in the south of Ireland like, no. let's, no. let's get that out of the way nobody was I don't think even by accident. no no um, right so uh yeah, this is the first time we saw YouTube being really poppy, really disco-y, uh, electronic-y, and silly for the first time. Mm. Now, it was a bit ballsy because there's a good break between the last album and people didn't know it was tongue-in-cheek. Genuinely did not know that disco yeah. tech was tongue-in-cheek. And also, the video was a lot for them to take in. That video went on to definitely inspire George Michael's outside video. I think. Maybe. I really think. Yeah. I really think I had that feel for it. Um, and Disco Take is a good song. I don't often go back. To, I don't think it's one of the strongest ones on this album at all. Mm. I think Mofo was my favorite song on it because it just sounds like a semi, like pop industrial. Like, you know, like fucking, yeah. I don't know, Cell Dweller or something. It just it has, it has like, it's just completely the most different of all. Even it's, it's so different. And yeah. all the U2 songs, even on this album and on other albums, I think it's it's the one most standout U2 track there. Mm, like, mm. That does not sound like them at all. Um, it's I remember, remember when it came out, the album came out, buying it. I mean, like my mates, my mate wasn't that mad into U2, but his brother was mad into them as well. So we went up to HMV and we bought two copies and we brought it back and he stuck it up. We'd heard Disco Tech the single and I remember his mom walking in going, what's this? He was like, Master like, you know U2? And she's like, that's shite. Like, <laughs> fuck, man. Like, everyone's like, the, my, all Mars love you too. Oh, that's yeah. a lovely song. That's a lovely song. Bono's a lovely guy. He's a lovely fella. Lovely guy. Like, that's fucking shite. And I was like, you know what? People are going to hate this. Okay. So, they had the single Staring at the Sun, which I do like. Uh, Gone is a fucking phenomenal song off that. Um, 
Staring at the Sun feels like an Oasis song the more you listen to it. It does, yeah. It's really fucking Oasis-y. Yeah. Um, but I think, I do think it's a brilliant album. I don't think it's good. I think it's actually a little bit better than that. I think it's brilliant. I do think Bono is the weak link on the whole album, mm. actually. I think his lyrics, vocally, he's fine, whatever. Lyrically, it is not good. Uh, mm. And he takes the tongue-in-cheek thing a bit too far. He could have got way more subversive. He could have got way more... Uh, Sort of, yeah. I don't think he has that. You know, I don't think he, I think he just his imagery and on stage he, he pulls it off like that yeah. kind of thing. But in this record, not so much. But I still think it's such a fucking great album. And um, it's they opened up this song, Mofo, opened up every single gig of the Pop March tour. Mm. Um, I like this part, song, yeah. Apart from yeah. the song Pop March, which is sort of like a little intro thingy, but yeah, it's this yeah. song. And it is such a great song to start a gig to. I'm going to rage that I never saw them on this tour. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, I wrote at the end of them all to ask myself, did it work? It did work commercially, not as much. Uh, critically, it was divided. Mm. It's actually degraded critically over time. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, it is. People have, have changed their mind going, you know what, I liked it at the time, now it's not. It's because some things electronically especially don't hold their own. Over the, well, I still think it's a great here's, album. Here's the problem for me with a with a lot of uh, like U two, Rolling Stones, fucking Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, whatever people who are almost victims of their own success, right? So uh, let's say your average show, right? Pick your ma, or your da, or your uncle, or whatever you know who likes a few tunes or whatever, and you you get them tickets to Croker to go and see. Bruce Springsteen, right? And they get in there and Brucey plays even 50-50 classic hits and stuff off his, then like the other 50% is stuff off his last 10 albums, right? That fucking, that person's going to be like, play too much new stuff. Play too much new stuff. Like, you 2 realistically, when I think of you 2 I think of, you know, uh, fucking Joshua Tree and Acton Baby and War. I think of all those classic, yeah. you know, like New Year's Day. And I think of all that shit. So that's what I assume it's going to be from the second they start until whatever, two, three hours later, I'm going to get the greatest hits of U2. Mm. And I'm probably not going to get that. And if I'm not a diehard U2 fan who wants to hear a song like this, like Mofo, then I'm going to be disappointed. Even if he plays... Yeah, you won't get it. You won't get it off this album as far as I know. I'd have to check up there. I'd have to check. I think this was just a period between Zeropa and Pop and yeah. the Zoo TV and Pop Mart tours where they were just having fucking mad fun. Yeah. And I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. You're not going to get Mofo. You might get Disco Tech if you're very lucky. Yeah, exactly. Like just as, as a joke, but you're not going to get Staring at the Sun and uh, Do You Feel Loved? There's so many really good fucking songs on this. Um, yeah, the problem is your, your average show isn't going to give a fuck no. about them. You know, no, and I don't even know if they enjoy playing them anymore. They might look at them now as a, a big actually. I think I think, yeah. I think they still love Mofo because the more they played it, the more they started to love it. Even it though sounds like fun to play, it is. But if you, if, what's the, if you watch the live shows, Bono sounds out of breath. I don't yeah. know how because he sings song. weird. He sings weird, isn't it? It's no, it's it's fucking. I like it. I really yeah. have a lot of the riff. You want to you want to uh, play a, part, a bit of it anyway, don't you? Yeah. Well, let's stick it on just in case yeah. anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about. It's very hard to believe this is you two sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe this. Now, like, I, I remember this album, but I don't remember every single about, thing about it. No, yeah, so when I, li- I listened to it again today, I was like, "Fuck, man, that's really really good." Uh, this is Mofo by You Two.
absolutely be forgiven for uh, thinking that that was like Apollo 440 or something or even a filter something like that <laughs> like, yeah it just has there's a particular kind of weird that bass riff is yeah. great with the bass like, synth riff yeah it's just it's oh, so fucking like 90s you can hear that like the yeah. like, like, like you were saying filter and stuff like that those kind of alt rock electronic bands and then stuff yeah. like like you said Bentley Rhythm Ace and Apollo 440 and shit like that they were all mad for that particular sound and mm-hmm. it was in it was in almost every album had like two or three songs of that that sound yeah like, it was it was hard to escape. All producers wanted to do because they'd all got pro tools and they were yeah. like, "Look, lads, do this." But one of the people I wanted to put on this list was actually Smotley Crew, who re-released uh, "Shout at the Devil" in a more electronic industrial style, and it's Jesus way better. Christ. It's way better than the original. Really? Like way better. It's wow. way more way more suited to it. But yeah, wow. that was uh, that was Mofo by U two. Mm. Uh, one of my favorite examples of when a band did electronic, um, slightly out of their depth, but I really still think. Uh, with the producers that they have, they pulled it off. They did it. Yeah. Who was yeah, your uh, Who was your first <laughs> one? Uh, my first one is. Who was my first? My first one is Solwax with the song "Is It Always Binary," and right. um, Solwax were a Belgian band from uh, Ghent, uh, based around Ghent, two brothers. Yeah. Ghent, yeah. Uh, David and Stephen. I think, I think it's the Wale. I think how you pronounce it, the Wale. Well, it's Europe, isn't it? So W's or V, so it could be the Wale or the Vale. Yeah, in Belgium it probably would be. Yeah. yeah. Um, loads of line of changes over the years, but it's always the two brothers. Um, it's always the two boys. Always David and Stephen. Uh, Igor Cavalier is actually in the band at the moment. And um, what? Yeah, he's been in them for for a while now. If you had given me 7,000 guesses, I wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have gotten him. Yeah, no. Name him, you've got 7,000 guesses to exactly, go. Would yeah. never. No, we never would enter into it. No. Yeah, um, the, the current kind of incarnation of the band has like two drummers and shit like that, and he's one of them. So uh, he's been playing with them on and off for years. It's it's, it's almost like a, a kind of a tag in and out system now with Solvax. I like that you picked this because you're going to have to answer me the massive question. I'm not even going to ask you, it's going to come up. Yeah, yeah. Um, the difference between this and someone else. Okay. And where, where the line is drawn and where is it blurred? It's all black and white. For, it's all grey for me, this area. Yeah, it, it's very it's very peculiar. Now, I'll probably, I might even answer your, your question now in a second before you even right. ask it. No, so, I won't ask it. I won't ask it because I don't um, want you to get to it in your own time. So they began life as a regular kind of alternative rock band. The two albums, um, Leave the Story Untold in 1996 and Much Against Everybody's Voice in 1998. Both of those albums are fucking superb. Absolute peaches of albums. I only know uh, much against everyone's advice. Uh, leave the story and tell us is even maybe a little bit more raw, a little bit more garage rock and roll. Right. It's, it's yeah. Fucking two perfect fucking albums. Perfect albums. Now, so just I, love, after, I love these Belgian kind of bands. These yeah. are Deus, 
Fuck yeah, yeah, you've been talking about that for ages. There's a lot of these Belgian bands that were just... Now, here's the thing, right? I read years... We actually had Belgian, had Belgian band in the last episode as well, the kids. We did, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a, I think there might be a reason for that. So, I, oh, yeah. there was a thing years ago. It's like, uh, as you know, we both, we both collect records and fucking I used to have a record store. And yeah. one, of the, um, one of the places on earth that was kind of a divine source of records was Belgium right there's like record shops all over belgium that have stuff that nowhere else on earth has and the reason for that apparently is that most of the stuff that was pressed everywhere else in the world most of europe's records came to czech republic there's a, a pressing plant called the uh, gz and um, pressing plant so most of the world's records even now are still pressed in the czech republic mm. a large large uh, percentage of them now every single country on earth had its own pressing plants. There was ones in Africa. There was loads of them in Ireland. England was riddled with them all the way up until like the kind of late 80s, early 90s when CDs and cassettes kind of took over and the record business went down. But apparently, Belgium was used as the main shipping port for almost all records in the world that were going to Europe, right? So stuff yeah. that was pressed in Europe was shipped to Belgium and from there then it was sent to like the States and South America and fucking all this kind of shit. And stuff that was pressed in North America and in South America and Africa, wherever you want, to, Ireland, England, it all shipped to Belgium then as well because Belgium had one of the main fucking kind of holding areas for, for stocks um, for yeah. all of Europe. And because of that, um, loads of like, containers went missing over the years. Right? Apparently to this day, like if you're if you wanted some mint on card fully boxed He-Man action figures, there's a chance there's a forty foot container full of them left over from 1985 in Belgium. Right, right. That's it's just Jesus. I want to yeah. go. I want to go <laughs> exactly. open all them. Yeah. So apparently, like Belgium is their place. So I have made to like you'll hear people talking about Germany and Berlin being like the center of records um, for Europe, yeah. uh, but people in the know understand. No, it's not. It's it's fucking. It's Belgium. You have to go to Belgium. Like the record shops in Belgium have stuff that like was uh, thought was uh, you know hadn't been pressed in forty years, and you're finding mint sealed copies of it. You know, um, yeah. So Belgium is the place. It's literally like one of the like, much like Sweden being like kind of the music capital of the, capital of the world. You know, where mm. you get you come out of school at, at seventeen and you turn around to the government and like I want to be in a band, and they just start giving you money oh, to be in a band. Exactly. Geez. Yeah, Be- Belgium have similar kind of stuff going on. Um, so Belgium is very, very heavy in, on the arts and into music as well. So you do end up with uh, kids and uh, even fucking grown-ass fools like us. If you are from Belgium, you would have been um, exposed to every genre of music imaginable. And it was yeah. on top all the time in every shop. Well, yeah, when, when we were one of the best, the best uh, grass pop is one of the best. Uh, exactly, yeah. Like it's, it's still going on to this day. But like, if you remember when we were young for us and you wanted to get the new, I don't know, Megadeth album, and you knew it was out on the first of October, and you might not arrive in Ireland until fucking November or December. You know yeah. what I mean? And you'd have to traipse around town trying to find a copy of it. Well, somewhere like Belgium, because it was like one, it was like one of the main ports on the trade route. Everything was there. Belgium was just one of the places. And like I said, to this day, if you want records. If you're in the know, you go to Belgium and you start rooting yeah. around the record shops in Belgium. Belgium's but, great for records then. Uh, chips. Chocolate. Chips. Chocolate. <laughs> chips. Uh, RPGs and uh, fucking beer. Obviously, beer. Yeah. Um, the best beer in the world as far as I'm concerned. I am. Yeah. And the roads are beautiful. I've driven across, across yeah. Belgium. Actually, Belgium Jesus. people are fucking deadly. Weirdest fucking language ever as well. 
Um, it's well, like the wherever it went was a, a sort of a border town with. It's like half country. half Flemish, half German, half yeah. French, half fucking everything. Yeah. It's mad. Great language. crack, though. Great um, crack. I, I, I've only spent a couple of nights there and I never really went to piss or anything like that. I passed through it, like I said, because I drive to Poland every year. I pass, I always stop in, in Belgium. Yeah. Um, I picked up a hedgehog, actually, once in Belgium. Yeah. That was a highlight of my Bel- life. A Belgian hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so by 2002, they'd, uh, they'd already released uh, Much Against Everybody's Voice 1998, and they were doing particularly well off that. The singles were doing well. Yeah. But I start getting interested in uh, electronic music and they were asked to do a couple of remixes so they start doing remixes for whoever the fuck could have them you know the, yeah. the music industry seemed to realize that these guys Dave and Steven couldn't know what they're know what they're doing because there was definitely electronic influences in much against everybody, everybody's voice as well where there was a bit of a, yeah yeah it was just you know they throw the salt and pepper season of a, of a weird synth in there every now and again so this led to their remix project which was called too many djs yeah, right. So, so that, Soul Wax is before Too Many DJs. Soul Wax is the, is the rock and roll band, right? Yeah. And then Too Many DJs come out, and that's strictly electronic. And almost and that's entirely... Soul Wax was before. There was no... They weren't DJing as Too Many DJs before Soul Wax or anything No, like no. Oh, right, no. right. What happened is, in between... Uh, 2002 was when their first album, Too Many DJs, uh, was, was called um, As Heard on Radio, Soul Wax Part 2 was the name of the album. Which you see, is they're putting their, the soul wax in there confusing. Exactly. This is, this is the thing. This, they, I, I think what they're trying to be is like a many tentacled monster. You know what I mean? Like that, there's, yeah. no, there's no real difference between too many DJs and soul wax. Not now there's not. In 2020, or for the last 10, 15 years, there has not been a difference. You know what I mean? Right. They just decide what label they want to put out underneath. Like the, their big thing was that they had a radio show called Radio Soul Wax. Right? That was two, really big. Yeah, it was huge. And you could, they um, they done remixes of every genre imaginable. How they managed to do it, I could not tell you. I listened, they done um, uh, 1980s uh, hardcore punk, like three or four hour remix session on radio once. And it was wow. the maddest fucking thing I've ever heard. I've been trying to find it for years online. And it's every band, like all the bands that I'm into, Slapshot, Sick of It All, Agnostic Front, all that kind of shit. They managed to remix them and mash them up. And I've never heard oh, it. Like, yeah. how, they, how they managed to do it, I couldn't tell you, but it all sounded great. But you name the genre, they done it. And eventually, they released this, um, uh, as, as heard on Radio Solwax Part yeah. 2, which is their first album. Because I think the, the first one was uh, like a radio-only thing that they couldn't get the rights to. Now, their first album was a remix album um, as well. Now, what they, the weird type of remix album where they, they took parts of kind of famous songs that they got permission from and used bits of them um, in that kind of own compositions, it's very, it's very unusual. Very unusual. <laughs> Two thousand and four, um, they released this album called Any Minute Now, which is, to be honest with you, it's kind of where I start dropping out because I start getting particularly electronic. And right, so they were this maybe is Solwax becoming original electronic bits with not much yes. sampling or yes. right with themselves, but too many exactly. was still sample based. Yes, exactly. Right, and instead of starting a third band. Exactly. To Soul do Wax that. just became they, original yeah. electronic. Right, exactly. okay, right, so, right. Soul Wax morphed from this kind of rock and roll, alt-rock fucking band into original electronic compositions. Um, and Too Many DJs coined the stayed as the remix guys. Right, okay. If you get me. Now, as far as I know, Too Many DJs definitely did release some original stuff as well. But I think they've stopped yeah. doing that now and it's just all under the Soul Wax kind of banner. Um, they just yeah. started sounding like this. To me, they evolved into this... They found this middle ground around this this um this album 
any minute now, but it just st- starts sounding like this strange kind of electronic Queens of the Stone Age. And I don't really like Queens of the Stone Age. And you don't. You're not a fan. I'm just not. Not for me. And yeah, I, I like them, but I, I won't. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked when someone tells me they don't like them. I'm not shocked at all. Yeah, like the the, the electronic influence just stopped being minor and started becoming major. And then um, when this album came around, came around, this album was called. Um, uh, from DW, I think is the name of this album, and it's like it's it's fucking. I'm gonna play a bit of it so people can can yeah. hear it. Um, but you'll hear like if you know, like, know Solvax beforehand. <laughs> yeah, this will sound it. mad weird to you if you look, if you know mm. Solvax. Um, we played Solvax on the radio before. We played him on the uh, the TV show. We played him on the podcast before as well. Um, yeah. But when the podcast when the playlist comes out, you can just click on uh, view artists and you'll see. Actually, believe it or not, the rock and roll stuff isn't even on the top five. It's all the electronic stuff. I figured after a while of playing festivals, you're not going to get your rock songs from the yeah. early 2000s on the, on the on the top list. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, this is called uh, Is It Always Binary? And you'll, you'll hear what I'm talking about. That's mad, yeah. That'd be. I like that, but it'd be better with a few more layers. It's very, yeah. very. Uh, it's very sparse. Yeah. Now, there's there's other songs. They have songs like um, "E Talking." That's a you. That's probably their biggest song, and uh, they got in trouble over the video for that, which is just about. I think every verse in the song is meant to be from the viewpoint of somebody who's taking a different drug or something like that, and the video is them going around a festival doing loads of different drugs and following the people. Right. Weird shit. They got in trouble for that. So "E Talking," the song's actually all right. It's not bad. And it's closer mm. to the kind of rock and roll stuff, but it's more electronic. It has that that they're, they're the kings of melodies and hooks. They really are. Like they they know how to write a chorus. These these boys. Um, yeah, they do have that European big time. Yeah, new wave post rock. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever that. Yeah, whatever that, that European that, thing is. That much against everyone's voice is actually 1998. I thought mm. that was 2001. Mm. 98, which you can hear in you can hear in there. Why they need someone like Igor Cavalera. Doing all this fucking drum, oh, absolutely, drum, drum yeah, shite and all that yeah. as well. You know? <laughs> Makes um, perfect sense, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, that was um, that was Solvax. What is it? I was binary. Does it work? Ah, it's more popular, and it's probably the music they always wanted to make. But uh, but uh, but people like me and you have dropped out. I absolutely dropped out, and I don't. I'm yeah. not going to lie to you. I'm probably never going to get back in. <laughs> We're never um, going back. 
yeah, I'm probably not. Like, I, I, every now and again, I have to force myself to do it. We're going like, I fucking, now I'm missing something. I have to do it. And yeah. I, I listen to like, from TV or fucking one of the other albums. I'm like, because oh, I have a lot of the singles. I am, what I used to do, whenever they brought you a new album, I'd buy the CD singles and I bring it home and I put it on. I go, wow, not this time. <laughs> not, <laughs> not buying the album. Yeah, I've not, only wasted a fiver, not exactly. fucking 20 quid. Yeah, For, yeah. Honestly, I'm like, not today, Satan. <laughs> like, so, um, who was your next one? My next one is a guy who switched to electronic music but had every entitlement to do so because he was one of the people who inadvertently created it. Created industrially and electronic. Well, we don't think he created electronic music, but mm. it's David Bowie. And it's the heart's filthy lesson from the album Outside 1995. The song is um, great as well. Yeah, it's, it's a banger. It's not his first foray into... It's, yeah. well, it's one of his first, really. Um, so Scary Monsters from 1980 sounds like it's an industrial glam rock mm. song and that influenced Mechanical Animals and, and it definitely definitely influenced uh, Trent Reznor um, you can hear stuff, you can hear stuff um, in this song as well that's very, there's a very interesting kind of weird guitar shit going on here that he obviously took from somewhere else as well and just absolutely it. yeah yeah well it's, it's mad because like there's no doubt uh, Manson and Reznor are absolute mad Bowie fans. They, they just are. And it's there's, interesting because... There's a thing I've been trying to find. There was a tour with Nine Inch Nails and Bowie. Yeah, and, we'll talk about that in a minute. All right, yeah. Cause it, <laughs> no, no, no. no it's, but it's not even going to talk about that. But apparently it was released on vinyl. Oh, couple, I saw that. In, yeah, I saw I, that in, a, in Golden Discs. In, oh, really? Because I'm trying to fucking find it. I'm trying to find really? it online. Really? Yeah, no, I really, I saw, really want I bet, You know what? It's Golden Discs. I guarantee no one's bought it. Although... We'd want to get there before we put this out. I don't even know where Liffey Valley is. I'll figure it out. Be grand. Yeah. Anyway, I go saw on. it there. Yeah, I saw it there. Um, yeah, so it was about 1993 where he kind of started putting the foot in. Much like you two who did it in 93 mm. as well. They were putting their feet in it. He did it with Black Toy White Noise, which mm. was sort of... He was on a bit of a lull. He'd had a few kind of stinkers, I think, before this. And I wouldn't be mad into Black Tie White Noise, but I do think I do think it's kind of good album. Mm. It's it's still kind of quintessential Bowie, but with a more electronic drum feel. And he's doing Tin Machine around that era as well, I yeah. think as well. So he had that, still had that kind of rock sound. But it wasn't till outside in 1995 that he really kind of covered the rock in electronic, <laughs> and it was aggressive. So to the point, it really did become industrial. And the Heart's Filthy Lesson is kind of in an in industrial song. I think mm. it is anyway. Um, it's, it's funny because Reznor actually did a mix of this song for the single as far oh, as I cool. know. So by then they, they were, he did invite um, Trent Reznor, Melanie uh, Nails on tour for the outside tour. So this tour. And um, he had said that he had heard Pretty Hate Machine and he thought it was very interesting. But it must have been when he heard the downward spiral that he was like, right, this is the this is the direction yeah. I want to go. And he said that he always listens to stuff on the outside or on the periphery. That's where he got the name for this this album. So mm-hmm. he, lo- he loves things that are on the outside. You might remember that famous interview where he's been interviewed by MTV and he's like, Why do you never play any black hip hop artists? And there your man's like, uh uh well uh David Bowie was cotton by the absolute bollocks. So like Bowie is into new new stuff, do you know what I mean? And not just to not just to take from it. So I do think 
Play a bit of it there anyway. I, yeah. I think a lot of people might know the song, but if you're an old school Bowie fan, this did not go down well with old school Bowie no. fans, especially live. They did not like the live shit at all. Not in the slightest. Here we go. Sound great. Yeah, well, he got that from Trent Reznor, but yeah. my idea for a podcast shows you where uh, right. where Trent Reznor got that as well. Oh. Like, ramming your finger up and down the piano and plinky plonking it, but yeah. doing it in an industrial song is different and it sounds incredible. Yeah, um, yeah they worked together on I'm Afraid of Americans in the 90s. It's a fucking yeah. great song uh, for Showgirls, Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. If you think about all the people that David Bowie worked with, like Lennon, Lou Reed, he worked with Cher. Mm. Uh, and Tina Turner, Luther Vandross, and Pet Shop Boys, Lenny Kravitz, Queen, Mick Jagger. We all remember that one. Jesus. And 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 Trent Reznor. And then later on, he worked with um, a little bit later. He worked with Placebo on um, Without You I'm Nothing, a, a, a duo version of that. Um, but I think I really think, even though Black Toy White Noise has a touch of electronicy in it. It's mm. not as much as this outside was. The, I want to try and get, that's what I'm trying to get with this. The first time the band went fully yeah. electronic. I'm really trying to get that moment to see what it, what it sounds like. Mm. And this album is obviously produced by uh, Brian Eno. Um, Hello Space Boy is off this as well. That, that, that's a really, really good song as well. Mm. Pet Shop Boys version. I don't even like Pet Shop Boys. So did it work? Uh, it did commercially, yes. Especially the album after it, Earthlings in '97 mm. as well, which is along the same lines, but a bit more, a little bit more fun. Um, Bowie really wears electronic music really, really well. Yeah, and he—it's because he—he he didn't like stumble into it out of necessity. He did it at a good time to make himself a bit more relevant and introduce yeah, yeah. to a new generation a little bit, like the way Madonna did with Ray, like getting William mm. Orbit to do do that. Well, there's a reason that she didn't appear on this because for electronic. She'd already been appeared a couple of episodes ago. Mm. So critically, yeah, uh, live though. I reckon people going to see live having to sit through Nine Inch Nails. That you're waiting for fucking uh, Suffragette City or 
changes. Rebel, rebel, or something. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, since you're fucking, uh, on a fucking, like, like an animal. <laughs> and then, and then he's speaking a hot, filthy lesson. No. Yeah. I can imagine it being very jarring, but uh, that's fucking Bowie, man. Yeah, I went, I went yeah. to see Bowie years ago, and he done a great mix of fucking everything. But he, he did, was, apparently, yeah. So he, he, he had a, um, yes. he. Jesus, who I think it was like the Dandy Warhols open for him or something. It was he was fine, Grant's yeah. Dandy Warhols fine. But he done I like yeah, he, he done enough to kind of kind of keep. I went with me out for him. My dad had me to a gig in like thirty fucking years, and um, uh, so it took him to it was the RTS or Point or something. I don't remember. And uh, there was a enough mix of like the stuff for like. Earthling and the kind of newer shit that I knew that I was interested in, as well as like yeah. the, the old stuff. And it, but he, he kept me out, the fucking happy with his his his, uh, and, yeah. his, his, his classic hits as well. You know, it's now that's yeah. what I call Bowie. Um, his bits and bobs kept changes Bowie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was a superb fucking gig. I'm glad I got to see him. He was always on yeah. list. Yeah, so that do their work works for me. Work mm. commercially, yeah. Well, I like work, it a lot. Work, work critically, absolutely works critically. So definitely, yeah. I think it was good. Who is your next one? My next one. I'm going backwards. Um, I'm going backwards. I'm taking a band that are known for being an electronic band, and I'm telling you where they came from. Um, and it's the Beastie Boys, and the song is Transit Cup. Um, which is on a compilation called Pollywog Stew or some old bullshit. You'll see there's a, there's a couple Jesus. of these. Yeah, there's a couple of these old Beastie Boys uh, collections that, that do the rounds. I was ha- actually happy to find one of them on uh, Spotify because normally this type of stuff isn't allowed on the on Spotify by the record label. Yeah. They yeah. want to kind of wash away the sins of the past. So um, <coughs> the Beastie Boys... Uh, existed from like 1978 to 1983 as a hardcore punk band from New York. Um, originally, they were called the Young Aborigines, and they changed their name to Beastie Boys after seeing uh, Bad Brains. They wanted to have the BB after seeing Bad Brains, so they changed their name oh, to Beastie right, Boys. Right. And um, they were proper fucking like, uh, like a. Pro- I'm gonna play some of it now. You'll hear hear what it's yeah. like. A proper like New York hardcore band, a proper '80s New York hardcore band, like mile a minute guitars, the whole fucking shebang, like um, no electronic anything in it you know what I mean right. the, the only electronics in here were the fucking amplifiers were plugged into and um, that's how they started that's how they kind of I'm not going to say how they got famous but that's how they got known in the music scene in New York and um, was by hanging around with all these other kind of punk bands and hardcore bands and they were known for like I think Adam York done the fucking uh, he wrote the he wrote the intro to uh, like John Joseph from Cro-Mags his biography he wrote um, oh, wow. he wrote an intro for I think HR's book from Bad Brains as well. Like he heavily involved in the New York hardcore scene. Um, every yeah. single member of the, of, the, of the Beastie Boys. Like that's where they. That's where you you end up with songs like Heart Attack Man and Sabotage and shit like that. They could actually play instruments because that's how they started. You know. Yeah, they, yeah. I knew they were cool from that, but it's interesting. Yeah. You're going backwards. So the, uh, this is a band that did go electronic, but we know exactly. them for that. Except we know right, them for right. electronic. There's no point in me playing yeah. fucking yeah. Hello, yeah. getting off Hello Nasty or Intergalactic. Everybody knows that. So yeah. we're going backwards. I'm going to play a little bit of a uh, Transit Cop just so you get the idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm interested. Uh, to hear. The, the the song itself is is uh, one minute and twenty seconds. So we're just going to put the whole fuck. Play the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Less than my samples. Exactly. This is another noise show. Stay tuned, folks. It's a really good show. We got giveaways. We got guests. And of course, we've got half an hour of the best hardcore in New York, starting with the Beastie Boys.
Yeah, I'm glad, they went the <laughs> I'm glad they went electronic there, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what everybody sounded like in fucking in the early yeah. 80s, do you know what I mean? Um, so yeah. what happened was they were doing all that kind of stuff. They were getting kind of known for making that, that New York hardcore kind of malarkey. And they done this kind of novelty song called Cookie Puss. And it was like them kind of messing around with their instruments with like a little fucking drum machine and fucking around and put it out, I think on like seven inch on tape and it actually done particularly well. People were like, that's really good. Like that's actually very, very good. And uh, they yeah. decided there, then they're like, fuck this blading guitar fucking bullshit. Let's be, let's be MCs. Like let's, so yeah. they were asking around trying to figure out who the fuck can we, who can, who, who'll be a DJ. And they met this bloke in college called Rick Rubin. And, Rick Rubin um, had an 808 drum machine, a couple of turntables, and he was obsessed with hip hop, and he was obsessed with metal, and he was obsessed with hardcore. I think they, they had met him originally at a Bad Brains gig, and uh, right. they f- found out that one of them went to the same college as him or something like that. So they start going around to his dorm, and he had all these electronics there. So he started messing, and uh, it was around this time uh, Rick Rubin was going to school with Russell Simmons. So uh, he, they started a record label and signed uh, their own act, Run DMC. And Rick Rubin started making beats for Run DMC yeah. at the same time. But he was an official member of the Beastie Boys at the start. So this is... Oh, was he? Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. He was like their first DJ. And uh, he bowed out, because Rick Rubin's a fucking weirdo. He bowed out to where uh, work on like the second Run DMC album or the first LL Kill J album or something like that. And uh, he like didn't show up to the airport one day while the Beastie Boys were going on tour with Madonna. And... Uh, he, I think he ended up working with Madonna at a later date, but loads of weird fucking... It's just That's an right. odd... They dropped any of their kind of uh, misogynistic stuff when they were... Yeah, they got they, they, time, they, they got kicked off the Madonna tour for having these giant inflatable dicks. And uh, right. they were throwing them out into the crowd and running around hitting each other with these inflatable cocks. But like there was loads of kids going to see Madonna. Was, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, Madonna's record label at the time... Now, afterwards... Uh, Madonna's label would sign the Beastie Boys and give the Beastie Boys their own subsidiary. Grand Royale, wasn't Grand it? Grand Royale was, was their label, yeah. yeah. That, that was like a subsidiary of her uh, record label, which I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was called. Not Maverick. What was it called? Was it Maverick? It is Maverick. Mm. So yeah, uh, Grand Royale, that lasted a couple of years. They signed a lot of mad interest and stuff, actually. There's an entire podcast to be done off the, the bands that they signed. It's mad shit signed. And then, so Rick Rubin had all this shit. Uh, they went on tour with Madonna. Rick Rubin didn't show up, so they replaced them. They stayed made to them, and he ended up, uh, he made their first album, which done absolutely insane amounts of fucking money. Like, mm. Li- License to Ill sold more than fucking, like, if Jesus put an album out, License to Ill probably sell, still sell more than it. You know, it's a huge, one of the, like, BC Boys went on to become one of the biggest hip-hop groups ever. And not only that, they were like very much trendsetters in the in the electronic end of hip hop. Like if you listen to their music, it's not just straight uh, box under beats with a sample loop and like they've mad shit going on. They've all sorts of they probably like Mixmaster Mike is one of the most famous turntablists of all time. He was doing mad shit hooking turntables up to guitar pedals and delay pedals and, and uh, loop decks and all sorts of stuff. So like their music was always very um it was almost like electronic music. You could listen to it by itself. You just got these three yeah. three guys who were going to uh, rap over it. But um, you could see they still kind of, they still kept that original kind of heavy music 
close to their heart because they, they, they did have like fucking... It did have, it does have an aggressive feel about it and a punky feel. Obviously, oh, yeah, exactly. certain songs that we know and love. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's like, you'll, you'll see almost every, almost every record had um, a song like Heart Attack Man or something like that that they would yeah. throw on there that would be a little throwback to the fact that like we love guitar, bass and drums as well and we yeah. want to do fucking heavy fast music and then you obviously end up with like sabotage and stuff like that um, oh. sabotage t- seems to be like a 50 50 mix of that um yeah kind of hip-hop perf- funk, funk style and that kind of hardcore punk fucking distorted bass and everything going on you know mm. um but that listen that's the bc boys like i wanted yeah. to go backwards they're famous now for being electronic but yeah that's, that's interesting i'm glad to hear I'm, I'm, I'm really was excited to hear it and yeah I wouldn't be like it's obviously not an amazingly not, not really your bag. It's not my bar from my bag either. Know, yeah, I just find it interesting yeah. that they they got kind of well known in one particular genre and like the yeah, that's a massive shift, massive yeah. shift. To, not to hip hop. Exactly. If they had gone into if they had gone into alt rock from that, yeah, I could get it. I could yeah. see it. If they had went into black metal, yeah, yeah. I could see it. But hip hop, yeah, and apparently like, it's all, all down to like Rip Reuben. Yeah, um, yeah. Meet, meeting him at a Bad Brains gig, crazy. he was like, "Come on, there's, there's a show around the corner. There's this band called Run DMC playing. Let's go and yeah, see yeah, them." Yeah. And that was that was the end of it. Then really, uh, that mm. was the BC Boys with Transit Cop. That was the demo version. I don't even know if there's a proper fucking version yeah. of, of it, but that's it. Uh, who was your next one? Well, the next one's interesting because we might do it together. We okay, might do this. we've both picked the same artist, Ooh. but for different reasons. Very and we're finally going, finally going to have it out. Finally going to have it out. So. One of my favorite bands to go electronic is Radiohead, mm. and one of your you you don't like that they did that. I do. So we both picked there's two Radiohead songs here. I picked Everything in the Right Place from Kid A two thousand, which yeah. is what which is I think it's the first time I heard them electronic. Obviously, uh, there is what there's other this what's there's another song before that on this. I've not not Kid A the song because I really actually don't like Kid A the song and it's second on the album and it really throws you it throws you completely at the start and I still don't mm. think it's, it's quite enjoyable to listen to Kid A but um, it's other apps just to fucking do my head in now but the fourth song of Kid A not National Anthem is it National I can, Anthem? I can tell you now in a second how about that? How about that? Go to album. I have Spotify albums. So you've got everything in the right place. Kid no, it is everything in the right place. Right. Sorry, yeah. I was going. That's what it was. I was going to pick national anthem. Yeah. I have picked everything in the right place. With oh yeah, I know why. This has no drums in it. I wanted to pick a song with drums mm. in it, but I didn't. So everything in the right place is the first time that I really heard Radiohead being electronic properly. Yeah. It's, it's not really much of it on OK Computer the album before. Not really much of it. Just, not the biggest thing. Just just layers, but it's not. Layers yeah, and samples, that's but it's still it. very much a fucking. It's alt, a guitar album, alt rock prog masterpiece. Yeah. Like yeah. it's not even that proggy. It kind of it's proggy in theory, not yeah. in yeah. Oh jeez, in execution. Look, we always talk about that. So um, there's no there's no drums in the song. It's it's yeah. a lot of synths and a lot of samples and chopping up words, and it's warm and it's lovely and it's fucking a brilliant album opener. I don't um, mind that this song so much. It doesn't bother me. You, you hear banging in the background. It's my chair is disintegrating from underneath me. Um, every time I move, something falls off or it clunks. Um, yeah. It's my new chair as well. Um, yeah. I don't mind the song. I don't hate this it. Is, yeah. No. All right. But. This is the first time that they were using like kind of more processed guitar sounds, but mixed with samples and loops, yeah. and they were manipulating the records completely with Pro Tools and Cubase, mm. and uh, Tom York chopped up his words and was reassembling yeah. them, stuff like that. They were going to do a double album, but uh, they kept they kept it 
to two separate albums with Amnesiac, which is also a fucking brilliant album. I actually sometimes prefer Amnesiac mm. to Kid A. Now, I didn't like Kid A the first time I heard it. I'm not going to lie to you. I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting, another okay yeah. viewer, and they went completely... It, this is one of the most highly anticipated albums of all time. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is more highly anticipated than Chinese Democracy because Chinese Democracy yeah. had been forgotten. And Lost the fucks, at China. The fucks were gone. The fucks yeah. were all gone. There was an article online a couple of weeks ago about Kid A, and like, I think the, toy, the title of the article was like, The Biggest Left Horn in Musical History. It is, like, though. I was like, well, like, OK Computer is a, it, OK Computer wasn't that much of a left turn. It was more of a giant no. leap ahead. Yes, yes. But OK Computer, a Kid A was a complete right turn. They, yeah. they, it's, because, it's all started when someone said to them, you have to do the bands too now because the, the band sold like 10 million, whatever. Yeah. And they went doing the opposite. Yeah. So they went and did just, yeah, talk about the album. <laughs> and this time they went, oh, how, how are you going to top that? We'll do, we'll, we'll take a turn. Now, I do think this, this, the stuff you could make an album with Kid A and Amnesia that stands up to OK Computer. I think you could chop the two of them albums up. Mm. I genuinely do. But it's a beautiful and complex album, Kid A. It's just for me at the time it wasn't. Um, yeah, the I, first I, time listening to it, I was really disappointed. I was in college and I, and I had it on like yeah. a, a mini disc or whatever, and I was like, oh, no, yeah. no, it's not. I don't get it. I guess some of it, like and all that. But I will say this, right? As much as I love it now, the actual electronic elements that they use, the samples and stuff like that, they weren't very interesting and they haven't aged well. Mm. They, like some of the drum music, yeah. like, man, that's people like fucking DJ Shadow, Apex Twin, miles ahead doing all yeah, that before. Yeah. And, and, and you have to affect the stuff way more to make it your own. Mm. Um, like boards of Canada do mad stuff like that, and that doesn't sound dated at all. I don't think. Yeah, there's, there's I, a, I do a lot of stuff in Kid A that's kind of stuck. You know, there is unfortunately. Yeah, like there just is, and yeah. I still love it. But when they their foray into it, they weren't. It was a bit of a fucking misstep mm. in terms of what they picked. They kind of felt they, they did it too fast. They jumped into it. Yeah, without knowing. they were like, "Oh, this sounds deadly. It sounds like Radiohead doing this." And what, what they were doing with the voices and guitars was was ahead of its time. I think mm. it really was. But yeah, some of the elements, electronic wise, d- didn't massively age well. But in saying that, I still think it's an absolute whopper album. Yeah, um, th- like I said, this song is is fine. You know what I mean? This, this when I first listened to Kid A, and I this is the like, like I said the fourth song. I'm like, okay, all right, that's a cool intro because the whole song sounds like it's about to start and it never does, right? So I thought, all right, that's kind of cool. You see, it, um, do, it does, and it does in its own way. But the end of it, the layers. If you listen to the subtle layers, they're yeah, cool. Yeah, if, 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 if I know what you're saying if the drums don't come in or if a big bass doesn't come in, it feels it's, like it doesn't. Yeah, I just felt like there was just an instrument lacking, but I was willing to let it go because I thought it's the fourth song it might be like a little kind of you know just a piece of music that might be kind of cool. And uh, maybe we'll, we'll start getting into the fucking the the real Radiohead stuff now in the next yeah. one. And it's this. so look, th- this is my. I'll mention songs along the way that I yeah. think. You see, you haven't quite let the cat out of the bag that you don't like the electronic stuff yet. In case people were wondering. Uh, yeah, I, I, songs. Yeah, go on. Tell, for t- me, for me, no, let's, let's do your bit. Let's do your bit now. Yeah, well, for me, Radiohead have Radiohead have two albums, right? And it's it's the bands which I love dearly and it's okay computer, which we've said a thousand times is yeah. prob- probably the best album ever made. And for me, kid a, 
when it came out, I was fucking dying for it. Like, you, people need to understand, I probably said this a thousand times, people need to understand how much of an OK computer fiend I am. I own OK computer on every single format it was ever released on. Like, I have it multiple times on CD, multiple times on cassette. I fucking hunted down a mini disc original version of it. I have every ver- version of it ever released on vinyl, including the big giant box with the art yeah. book that comes with the extra fucking cassette of all the, the mini disc recordings they had because they had a mini disc recorder recording 24 hours a day in the studio. I've got that stuff on cassette. I have the OK Not OK fucking blue version. I've got the OK Computer remastered version, have an original press. I've got singles off it. I even have the VHS that compiles all the videos off OK. Oh, yeah. I have every yeah. version of everything that's ever come out by OK Computer. The only thing I don't have is the floppy disk that they sent out. Uh, two things the Walkman that they glued shut and put an OK Computer sticker on they sent that out to like Mojo Magazine <laughs> and stuff like that they made an, an OK Computer Walkman and there was a floppy disk that had um, an OK Computer uh, screensaver on it and the songs in MIDI format to play on your sound card and I don't I just fucking I just they're, they're available you can, you can for the MIDI disk in particular you can find copies of it um, yeah. anywhere um, I just haven't bothered me whole because I don't even have a floppy disk uh, fucking reader at the moment but how many times have you listened to Kid A I'd say I've listened to Kid A 10 12 times really yeah since I came out yeah yeah I listened to it again uh, about 6-7 months ago um, what, I, what I like to do is if I'm walking home from work or walking to work I don't like listening to stuff that I know um, I like listening to stuff that I either have a problem with or I don't know. So I'd always go into like Spotify's new releases or there's nothing good in there. I'll find something that I, I've had trouble with in the past. Like I've done, I've done that with like a, a typo negative like a couple of years ago. So it was never, I never, I didn't like, I didn't dislike typo negative. I just didn't know a lot about them. They just passed just me by. Yeah. yeah. So I decided I'm going to go down this route and I started with Carnivore and maybe way up to, up to typo. And um, I was like, fucking hell, I missed the boat on this. This is amazing. I'm all oh, over this. This is great. Yeah, I am. Um, so I, I've done. I've done this with with Kid A, with fucking uh, Amnesiac or whatever. And I've done. I think I, I remember making you. Actually, you made me stick, a playlist of all stick, the best. Before we, before we talk about that, uh, stick. Yeah. I forgot we put, put everything on in this replay. Really I'm gonna. I'm gonna play yeah, that yeah. Because uh, sorry, I forgot. To, I forgot to. Say yeah, because we, we've got two samples to play here. One that I like and one I think is garbage. But this is the one I kind of like. <laughs> this is this is, is uh, this is your one here.
Okay, so there's everything that's right place. Uh, there's yeah. a drum being there because there's a bass drum there. Kick Point there, yeah, yeah. Subtly in there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really hard for me to, to, to put forward the argument with that song. It's, it's part of an album. It's, yeah. 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 Like, okay, so, fucking hell, you've got, what's, what's your lineup? It's OK Computer 1997, Kid A 2000, Amnesiac 2001, In Rainbows 2007, King of Limbs 2011. No, there's uh, Hail to the Thieves before King of Limbs. Yeah, where is it? Oh, it is, yeah. I never wrote that down. And then the Moonshade Pool in 2016, right? And, like, the stuff on Moonshade Pool that was, whatever, it's okay. It's, it's not great. It's, it's whatever. It's not. It's not. It's like their toward worst album, to put it mm. that way. Mm. Something like that. You know what I mean? It's not. I still think it's a fucking brilliant album. And to be Radiohead's, like, I'd put it, be, I'd put it ahead of I'd put it ahead of Pablo Honey and I'd put it ah, ahead yeah. of uh, King of Limbs, which I still don't think is a great album. It's fine. Pablo um, Honey almost doesn't come into the equation. Like it's yeah, it's it's so different than generic. But, uh, yeah, but to be to be a Radiohead album, you've got to be really really good. Even though I still don't not mad about King of Limbs. Um, yeah, apart like, from that, yeah. So so yeah. I, I understand the direction that the band took. Like it's it's appetizing for people, and uh, especially from the bands onwards, the fact that they got a little bit quirky. And that kind of whetted people's appetites. So people just assumed that Radiohead were going to do really good music that was going to be a little bit different every time. They'd almost reinvent themselves. Yeah. But the, the, what annoyed me is that they, they abandoned this style of music that they kind of stumbled across um, with something like OK Computer. Like, like the, follow-up, the follow-up album has to be... Like, if, if you were after banging out one of the greatest albums of all time, like like we said, that that extreme left or right tone, whatever you want to call it, like that's yeah, that's too jarring for someone like me who is almost obsessive about something. So I would have been. I know like Hail to the Thief had a bit more guitar and went back to that those roots. Yeah, a little Hail bit. to the Thief is a bit more of a rock album. It's phenomenal yeah. as well. Phenomenal. But like the, the the jump from Pablo Honey to the bands seems like like almost a natural progression. Like it's got this. It's still guitar-y. They just said, well, there's more yeah. to this than just like I said, three it's card tricks. It's a joint jump forward. It's not a jump left or right. Exactly. And then, like, kind of bends the okay. They just, they, it's like they just turned up to 11. And they're like, okay, but we're allowed to do a little bit more experimentation. Like, we've done a bit of that on, um, uh, like, like, you hear stuff like Street Spirit. Like, that's very close to a lot of stuff that's on on okay as well you know you got your no surprises yeah, and, shit and you like could that. put you could put karma police on the bench oh yeah exactly like loads of that kind of shit so i was mad excited when kid a came out like i now my thing with kid a was that i, I was so excited that i ignored everything like i didn't whatever a video came on or was played in the radio i turned it off like i was like going to absolutely gorge myself on this on release day and like i came home i bought it i don't even own it anymore true it out um, <laughs> honest to God, a true real. Um, I put, came on, put it on, and I was about as disappointed as a Metallica fan when Loud came out. Like that's that's the level of disappointment that I felt. I was I, I kept waiting for the album to start. I kept waiting for like the songs to happen because it just sounded yeah. like a collection of lads messing in the studio. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like experimenting. Now, I don't think, here's the thing, I don't think any of this is shy. I just, it's, they, it almost feels like they should have just changed the name of the band to me. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. It, it was such a turn that it's almost, whenever I, I, I hear the turn like that, it's almost disrespectful to the stuff they've done before it. Because it, it seems to me like they feel like they outgrew it. But like, and that's all yeah. kids' music with guitars and all, G chords and all. You met, oh, play a D, you stop. Oh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? That's what I think in my head. And I see them in the studio, like plugging synthesizers into fucking their arseholes and fucking speaking into microphones to get weird noises <laughs> out of it. And then uh, what happens as the ba- as more like, as Amnesia comes out and in Rainbows comes out, it just starts turning into the Tom York soundtrack show where the Tim. I don't know, no. I don't think Amnesiac makes this album make way more sense. Amnesiac has a few more rocker songs on it, like sorry, rockier. Like for, in fact, this bridges the gap. Amnesiac should really bridge the gap between OK Computer. Maybe, and maybe it's just it jarred me so hard when Kid A came out that it just it tore yeah. me to show you. And uh, after that, every time a new album would come out, I'd like fingers crossed. Here we go. Now there's definitely songs on some of the other albums that are fucking fantastic. Don't get me wrong. Um. And there's, there's even like quarters of albums that I enjoy it. Um, maybe, like I said, if you were to if you take all those other albums and, and strip out the best bits, you'd end up with like a double album for me that maybe could come close to OK Computer, but it's so watered down by this fucking, there's so many of these songs that it's just literally a synthesizer making some weird noises and Tom York mumbling and moaning that when Tom York came out with his fucking solo stuff, it sounded identical to everything almost everything I'd heard from Radiohead in the last 20 years, where it was like, mm. it's just this fucking droning fucking, that I'm waiting on someone to die of a heroin overdose in the music video or in the movie that he's made this music for. You know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. it, it's I'm all for depressing, but this is almost like he's depressed and he might yeah, kill himself. I can, I can understand that. I think that's a fair argument to make. I think you've, you've explained it well. I don't think people can really Like I said, I don't hate it. It's just not what I wanted. And because it's not what I wanted, I feel like I just shouldn't. And I've tried so many times because I want to love it. And I want, I want it to be more of this music. So what garbage song did you pick? I picked f- Full Stop off a of Moonshade Pool. That's um, hard. You picked an, inter- an interlude song in the middle of one of their Not Great albums. But go <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to play a bit of it now because there is yeah, some... I actually yeah. like Full Stop. I actually like Full Stop. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bang it on here now. Hang on. Thank you. 
can hear there, I picked the part of the song that actually has instruments in it. Deadly. That's a great song. It's not really. It is. It oh, I think it is. I just loved it. It's it's pacing along and it's that line cut in your full stop is fucking brilliant. That's a great lyric. I, and <sighs> I just and the, the backing that, vocals slightly kind of soaring up behind it and it's the bass line. I it just it. doesn't it. doesn't do fuck off on me. Again, it's a aimless direction, this meandering. It sounds like a band tuning their instruments and like the, the the drums in the background just doing the snare shuffle. It, prob- <laughs> it probably is a loop. It pro- it, like they probably play it live, but I'd, I'd almost guarantee it that when they recorded it, that's just a sample. Yeah. Like the bass is kind of audible. There's a guitar in the left. I have my headphones on. There's a guitar in the left yeah. channel. And I remember and, I made you a list. I think I called it Life After OK Computer. Yeah, yeah. I had like Idiotech, I might be wrong. You and Who's Army. Yeah. I think I put two and two equals five on it. There, there. I even put Lotus Flower on it. And I, I think it's one of the only songs I listened to Off King Olympus. And Identica off that last album as well, I think as well. But yeah. Like I said, there's definitely a couple of songs on, on, there's one or two songs on every album that are acceptable. But I find the albums to be incredibly padded by art skill wankery. And yes, fair enough. I, I just, I have, an, I have an issue with music that doesn't have uh, a direction. And if it just sounds like the first 10 seconds of the song could be the last 10 seconds of the song and nothing happens in between the first 10 seconds and the last 10 seconds, yeah. if it doesn't bring me on a fucking emotional journey, if I don't feel like they put the work into it. Now, they put, might have put so much work into it, it sounds effortless. But this, to me, sounds effortless. It literally sounds like lads, uh, like an orchestra warming up before the fucking conductor taps the stand. You know what I mean? Almost all of it sounds like that. Where the keyboard player is just like, fucking, what's that button do? And Tom York is fucking with his gammy eye, looking for a bag of chips, going, or whatever. And that's what all those albums sound like to me. Bar little um, exceptions to the rule. Where maybe, maybe they're the songs where one of the lads had a riff or a little melody flaunting around in his head for the last 40 years and now he finally... Uh, has something to put it well, in. Yeah, like some of the songs off of Moonshade Pool have been gone since OK Computer. Yeah, I believe and, that. And uh, like Born the Witch has been going around since Kid A. Yeah, but and Born the Witch is all right. I just wish it was better. Do you know what I mean? I, that's, I think oh, that, that's how oh I'm going to. God, I love that song. That's how I'm going to burn. That's how I'm going to boil it all down, right? Is that it's all grand. I just wish it was better. How about that? How about that as a statement? Again, I don't piss on it. I'm not shitting on it. Jipping on it or vomiting on it. All the bodily functions. I just wish, for me, it was better. Because there's not a single song on the Benz or on OK Computer that wouldn't be the best song on anybody else's album. Put it that way. Well, that's it, folks. We have finally had a a Radiohead chat. We said we were going to. I'm sweating now. Have we ever done it before? We, we've touched on it, but we've never we've really got into it. We've talked an awful lot about that one particular album, and we've probably tapped on it, but we've never put yeah. two of them together, and we, uh, we've had never gone on it, yeah. yeah, had a crack at it. So we should move on. So you've, uh, you've another one next. Who have you got next? Yes, I have Paradise Lost. Actually, I'm going to ask you to do something that's not too much fucking yeah. hassle. Can you play a song called Rotting Misery by Paradise Lost? If it's not going to fuck up the, the flow no. thing, just while I, you can do that while I continue on. So Paradise Lost released uh, an album called Host in 1999. 
Um, and it's this album. This song is called "In All Honesty," and I have to let I have to let uh, people. It's it's on the Lost Paradise album. The one the one you're looking for there. Uh, okay, it's the album before that. So I know it's done there. Sorry, yeah, it's on that one there. Yeah. So I just need I need in case people don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. You have to hear what Paradise Lost sounded like when they first came out. Okay, I'm gonna play that now, so, right? Yeah, just play. Jump into the middle of that. Anywhere in the middle of that. All right, just hit it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Thank you. Sorry, I threw you off of that. I should let you know I was going to do that. That's not it. <laughs> it's the yeah. This is nineteen ninety. a little bit there actually right so much the same right anyway so stop on for a second that's that's the uh, you get the idea so, yeah you get the idea it's just yeah. I needed to let people know this I, I was kind of halfway through while we were talking about radio I was like fuck are people going to know the difference between Paradise Lost. A lot of them will. A lot of people will now. A lot of people listen to podcasts work. But I just need to know. Now that's that's 1990. They are a sort of death doom metal band. Mm. Like, and it's, it's it's heavy. And this and Gothic was a good album as well. After as well in, this, in a similar vein. I loved, I loved Paradise rock. Lost as a kid. Loved them. Yeah, man. I, fucking, but yeah. I went back about three years ago. It was, like, it was one of those bands I remember from a youth. And one of the, I was walking home again. And I put them on, and I always remember the day I was listen, listen, re-listening to Gothic because I nearly got hit by a bus. I got hit by the bus to Carlo. And, right. uh, oh, what a terrible bus to get uh, hit by. The worst bus. They have zero cases of COVID at the moment, <laughs> so fair play to them. I nearly yeah. got hit by the bus to Carlo. It turned, it turned to go up uh, uh, Amy and Street, and I, was, I wasn't paying attention. And of course, I walked across a little fucking subsection, and the fucking thing had to jam on the brakes. <laughs> and all I remember is this giant fucking six letters yeah. car- Carlo whizzing towards me. But uh, I, I wasn't as impressed with it now as I was as a kid, but it's still fine. Yeah, no, I, I prefer another album that we'll get into now in a minute. So, mm. so that's, that's the start of like Paradise Lost. And they're sort of well-respected English death doom metal band. Um, it... <sighs> It's mad. They've gone through a polarizing kind of career because they've had a stint with this this music. They've gone in a sort of gothic rock thing with the uh, Draconian Times album, which I absolutely fucking love. And that's, that's touching on more of a type of negative kind of pianos is introduced into it. Hmm. They've gone for a grungier alt rock one with Believe in Nothing. Uh, but then this is the album I want to talk about, 99. So only nine years later than the song you just played there, they are playing uh, a song called "In All Honesty," and if you play it there, I don't know if you have it ready. I think I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, have it ready. Yeah, and just just so it's fresh in people's heads. Yeah, before going into that, the difference in nine years can do. But moving between gothic rock and and grunge into this. <laughs>
So that, that's a band that had just heard Ultra by Depeche Mode. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just Now, I don't know. There's another band, Norwegian band called Ulver, that kind of mm. follow a lot of the same patterns. It almost mirrors what, uh, what Paradise Lost that They started out like a kind of black folk metal kind of band yeah. that turned into gothic stuff that turned into ambient, and now they've released a synth-pop album. It's way synth, more synth-poppy. It's actually really good as well this year. Um, it, I don't know if... Right, so there's bands like Aerosmith and Machine Head who straight-up copy what's happening around them. Yes. Like Machine Head especially. Famous. They, cop, they, just, they just copy it, and they don't always do it well, and that's why they become sort of a bit of a lapse. Talk sometimes. And then randomly, they'll just belt out three in a row really good metal albums. Do you remember Rob Flynn just started wearing like Adidas tracksuits and all? I mean, Korn were big. That's and, it. He fell into like, the thing and, and, <laughs> and Aerosmith did grunge. Yeah. Now, they, that, that worked out quite well for them. Mm. Now, that's fallen in. I don't know if Paradise Lost aim for what they do because they did the grunge thing around like Alice in Chains era. They were yeah. sort of moving into uh, Believe in Nothing. And after this even... There was an album called uh, "Fucking Hell." What's the name? I can't remember. I just think it was a. It's either a bold move or else they were trying. I think that they admitted a few times that they were a little bit lost. Paradise mm. Lost were lost. Mm. They were lost. They've gone back now recently to do albums like "Plague Within" and "Medusa," which is a more around the draconian times kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, gothic, not quite as heavy as like gothic. Uh, gothic, the album and stuff like that. Mm. But I find it mad. I can't figure out whether they just chance their arm trying it or where they just, are they one of those bands that are like sponges when they're in the middle of writing an album, everything around them just gets sucked in and it's Hard sort of... Just, I mean, you can... In, you can yeah. there's, I think this, whenever a, a band change tack like that, like there's, there maybe there's something to prove for them. Like Maybe the singer's like, oh, I don't have to be growling and grunting. Like I can actually sing. Yeah. And, but that's not yeah. going to sue our original style of fucking doom metal or whatever. So let's try yeah. something a little, little bit different. Let's see if we can make something dark and doomy, but 
without those classical instruments. We'll keep them yeah. to, to hand, but let's see what we can fuck with in the studio. I, I would assume and that it, most of that stuff is written in the studio anyway. To be oh, this album sounds like it was written in the studio. He does yeah. it, and it's mad. Like they've, they're wearing like shorts and jeans, and they've got shorter hair, and the album cover looks. Mm, a bit like, no, like this, I don't care about this. I don't yeah. care really that I much. Know, but, but, but all I can think about is they're <coughs> moron. They're not. Paradise Lost fans aren't typically morons at all, but I know a lot of fucking heads go, oh, fucking shit. They thought Draconian Times was too poppy. Yeah. Like, let alone this house stuff or, yeah. or believe in nothing. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, but the problem with those people is they're going to be wanting the same thing ever. They want the same dinner and they want the same, same metal albums and they want the Brussels to be open forever even though they don't <laughs> go and have for drinking yeah. there. Yeah. They want to be there. And when they go into Brussels, they don't want their kids to there to be kids in there yeah. sitting in the seats that they used to sit in in 1994 yeah, you know what I mean? should like, be empty with their name on it yeah with their name on it yeah yeah like so so whenever i hear people complaining about paradise lost uh host and stuff like that that, that album i'm just like fucking i don't care i like it mm. i like that album i don't think it's groundbreaking i don't even think it's very very good i think mm. it's a good album but i like it there's a difference between something you know is not great and i, but I like it um so yeah, I think that was massively influenced with Fast Mode, like I said. It's not anything, not anything super, but I do think that that, inter- that amount of the element of the electronic they brought in for host especially, yeah. absolutely true people. So did it work? Commercially, people thought it was all right. Uh, critically, sorry, critically, people thought it was all right. Commercially, I think it was all right. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know, I can't remember. And everyone I know, all the metal are like, fucking stupid. And it actually made me like it more. So that was, uh, that was Paradise Lost with Host from, um, no, sorry, not Host, uh, in all honesty, from Host, 1999. Mm. Uh, They they weren't happy with the the mixing and mastering. So I remember in 2009, yeah, or 19 maybe, on the anniversary, it was remixed and remastered. Ah. I don't think this. Who's uh, that's where it's lost. Who's your next one? My next one is very strange, actually. Uh, something I only discovered recently, I didn't know it existed. And it's uh, Neil Young with the song Computer Age off the album Trans from 1982. Yeah. I've only heard about this and I've never delved into it at all. I, I never heard of it until uh, until this week. Um, I'm not a massive Neil Young fan. Never really was. He's fine. But, oh, um, man, look at my yeah, life. Yeah, all them I songs are fine. I like you. Yeah. That's a great song. Yeah, like the, the, all, all the big bangers are fucking brand, you know? So Neil Percival Young is uh, born in 1945. He's uh, Canadian, but he moves to Los Angeles in the early 1960s, uh, joining Buffalo Springfield. Did not know he was Canadian. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I knew he was Canadian for some reason. I don't know how the fuck. I must have read that. From my- I didn't even know he was in Buffalo Springfield. Yeah, yeah, he was in Buffalo Springfield, yeah. Um, that's why he moved to America. Um, yeah, you he can't have a Canadian Buffalo Springfield. <laughs> yeah, he actually, you know what I found out as well? He he only, he married Daryl Hannah in 2018 as well. 18? 2018, he married Daryl Hannah. How mad is that? I didn't know that. That's like, she, she was one of my crushes. Was she? Daryl Hannah? Yeah. yeah. Splash was it? Was a splash? Yeah, yeah. and Kill Bill with the one eye. Yeah. Um, so uh, 1982, uh, uh, fucking Neil Young is a pretty big solo artist at this stage. And um, he just left his uh, record label, Reprise Records, and he just signed with Geffen. So his contract, he had one of these fucking one in a million record uh, deals. 
was that a guaranteed contract. Him. No, it was he was guaranteed um, one million dollars per album, right? That was just right. part of, part of his contract was the minute I hand you an album. You hand me a million dollars, and then I still get me royalties and all this type of bullshit after. Still it. get the royalties yeah. after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wonder what they get. Uh, I wonder what they get. Um, like, it, it, it would it be paid for in the studio before <laughs> you ever? Would have been like sorry in advance is what I'm talking Back about. Yeah. It might have been an advance, or it might have been a fifty-fifty. Who knows? Whichever way it worked, Geffen were like fucking. We have to have Neil Young, million quid. I am. Um, I'm sure there was something there. We didn't have to pay it back if he didn't make it either. Um, and he had complete creative control, 100%. Like, didn't matter what he gave them. They he could. fucking young, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. They didn't have to give out. Now, before, in the early 80s, he had spent, uh, he spent the first couple of years of the 80s working with his son, Ben, who was born with uh, cerebral palsy. So he had, oh. um, he was doing all these kind of training exercises and like kind of rehab stuff for the son. Oh, right. And apparently a lot of it was like incredibly like monotonous and repetitive. It was just, you know, whatever, walking, sitting up, fucking, whatever um, st- stuff you have to do in, in kind of a rehab situation with a, with a young child that has cerebral palsy. And he just spent, he kind of took a little bit of time off and that's all he done. He kept it real quiet as well. That's awesome. And um, but he, he kept it re- Not yeah. awesome that he had to do that, but it's awesome that Exactly, yeah. So apparently when he was making this album, they went in, they made the entire album, him and the, 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 what's the, what's the name of the band, the Wild Horse Band or whatever the fuck you call it. Yeah, yeah. Crazy Horse. And then, Crazy, Neil, Neil Young and Crazy, Crazy Horse. Crazy Horse, yeah. yeah. So the band is Crazy Horse. So we had all them in and they, they wrote the album, recorded the whole Chapang. And somewhere near the end of it, someone gave him um, a synclavier synthesizer and a vocoder. Hmm. And he was like, this thing's absolutely outrageous. One of the first polyphonic synthesizers, like a really early one. There's some people call it a Saint Clavier. Uh, Saint Clavier. No, they don't. I just made that up. <laughs> and uh, a vocoder as well. So apparently what he'd done was that during the day when he was finished doing um, the training exercises with his son, he'd go back into the studio and he'd plug in the synthesizer and he'd see what he could take out of the classical instrumentation and replace with the noises he could make with this fucking, with this uh, early synth, this polyphonic synth. So well, eventually... I, well, I, that's weird. Like, I do that in a weird way. Yeah. I write all my stuff on a, like, with crappy synth on a computer, hmm. knowing that I can bring it back to the, import that file into the big beast and change all them, because they're not staying. Them yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. placeholders. But apparently the band, yeah, yeah. the band didn't notice, right? The band thought, like, oh, that's my guitar bit, done, I'm finished with the record, whatever, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah. he was going back in the night and not opening his fucking mouth, and at the, at the end of it, just when the band got together for mixing and stuff like that, they walked in and they pressed play, and they were like, where's all of the songs that we wrote? And he's like, no, it's grand. It's better like this. And they're like, what do you mean it's better like this? I was like, no, it's cool, man. This, have you seen so, this? So, so there's actually, realistically, in theory, a proper rock version of this. Uh, maybe, somewhere. Like it not, It's not really recorded, but like yeah. in theory, if you could go back in the past and take all those Oh, yes, yeah, somewhere. There's a real cool. version of this album. Mad. Oh, I'd yeah. say some fans are going mad about that. I'd say some. Now, apparently around this That's time... That's a shitty thing to do, man. Oh, it is a real shitty thing. So apparently what he, he was listening to so much craft work at the time. He was like, these Oh, definitely, yeah. ...are fucking nailing. Like, this is absolutely incredible. Like, this is the future of music. Yeah. So um, he released every single album. person. Every single person on this list has said... This is the future. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Now, when this album came out, even though he was guaranteed a million and he had complete uh, creative control, Geffen Records took him to court 
for um, they brought him to court and sued him for deliberately creating an uncommercial and unrepresentative work is what they sued him for. But so, didn't they release it? They did, right? They had they thought that because it was Neil Young, maybe he just knew more than them, right? Oh, you can't do that. You can't release <laughs> it and then say it's shit. Yeah, exactly. So it didn't do particularly well, right? Um, so actually, believe it or not, some some uh, magazines were, that were doing reviews and stuff were like this is amazing. I've never heard anything like this. Like this is crazy to hear like Neil Young embracing fucking the future like this is incredible and then some, <laughs> some of them are like what the where is the fucking old man looking man I love that it's a whole album because I found a few tracks I found uh, I found oh Jesus some project with Eric Clapton and your man from Climby Fisher yeah yeah uh, did yeah. Like, I can't remember what it was called Renaissance or something mad yeah. like that no what and it was just garbage not on Spotify though and then Cat Stevens <laughs> has one song that's just that's electronic right. yeah the, the, but the whole album the whole album of it the big one around this time would have been uh, the Billy Idol album uh, Cyberpunk and, right. Uh, I, I was going to put it in here, but Blind Boy covered it a couple of weeks ago. And I, okay, I'm, what's that? I'm not, about? Not, not stepping on his toes. So apparently, in the early eighties, Billy Idol like done. I don't know, broke his bleeding leg skiing or so. He done something. Right. He was he was stuck at home recuperating, and someone gave yeah. him like an early Apple Macintosh that had like a copy of fucking Cubase or Cubase or Pro Tools or Logic or some early kind of a uh, Gar- garage band. So, Fruity Loops. Yeah, exactly. Had some like OG fucking digital audio workstation software yeah. on it that had built-in synthesizers and drum machines. And he was like, this is absolutely incredible. And someone this had... Is the fu- did he say the words, this, this is, is the, the future? future. Yeah. <laughs> now, apparently what he had done was uh, he, 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 the, I have to I have to look this up here for a second. Uh, yeah. So he had called. Um, I'm going to type this in here. He Sorry. had called the album uh, Cyberpunk, right? Which was a term that came from was a Neuromancer by William Gibson. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so apparently someone had will, given will we him... Wait, uh, will we wait on that uh, actual game? Sorry, on, on the actual yeah. game, yeah. So he, someone had explained, apparently someone had explained the idea behind Neuromancer to Billy Idol. And he was like, that's really good. Like, that's a great idea. And he calls them cyberpunks, does he? Does he call them cyberpunks? And like, yeah, cyberpunks, Billy. Cyber. Yeah, oh. exactly. So he was like, I'll be a cyberpunk. So off he went, and he, he his whole idea was that he was going to bring his, like, kind of, because obviously he came up being in fucking Generation X's and punk bands and shit like this. And it's still, even though he was a kind of a pop act and a bar, pop rock act, he still, he, he became like a lampoon of the of the, the punk scene with the spiky hair and the yeah, belt. Like, kind of I love it. I love it, but it's not really, it's not really. It's, it's a lampoon. It's a, it's a, it's a piss take. Plastic punk. Yeah, exactly. Still fucking dead. But he, his, 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 uh, his roots are most definitely in the real punk scene. Like, so some of oh, those yeah, yeah. Generation X songs are fucking fantastic. But he decided like, this would be the new frontier. Like, this would be like the punks a couple of years ago. Um, you know, DIY and everything and all this type of shit. I can do that now with this computer in me gaff. So the record label were just like happy to have fucking Billy Idol. He, he was at this stage like huge. Um, but happy broken. to have him have, yeah but broken in half essentially having him making some sort of music he was like I'm working on a new album he didn't say that he was like had a keyboard you know what I mean not even a synthesizer <laughs> I don't think he had like a tappy tappy keyboard and uh, um. he made this whole album and the whole album's like 20 songs but someone had explained to him the whole Neuromancer thing so he named the album Cyberpunk just because he liked the name of it and he kind of 
he, like this, I think there's a song all day on there called like Neuromancer and all like and, and he was giving interviews. That's uh, it's garbage. But he um <laughs> even when he's giving interviews, they're like you know what's the what's you know what's the story with this album? He goes ah oh, with uh, yeah, William Gibson Neuromancer Cyberpunk and they're like oh yeah what's that about? Oh, it's about punks and soy, cyberpunks. He didn't even yeah. read the book. He didn't read the book. No, he didn't. No, he didn't at all. He literally just kept saying stuff like ah oh, the future of punk you know and I'm a punk and William Gibson yeah. Neuromancer yeah you know like in the future yeah. with computers like, you know the book like you know the book yeah like. yeah exactly he kept saying this he kept saying this don't question me with the book you've read exactly book. That, would, that, that came out I think roughly around the same time as this Neil Young thing so it was definitely like uh, an undercurrent for like big large artists who maybe now here I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second I think that maybe just fucking maybe these cunts were so money hungry in the early 80s that they thought if they could bang an album together on a computer themselves, they wouldn't have to pay for fucking session oh, musicians. Yeah. They wouldn't have to pay their band. Like when it came to going on tour, maybe they just have a cunt with a fucking computer they plugged in and press yeah. play. You know what I mean? They're thinking, how can I shave all these fucking, all these points off the shit that I need to give to people? Like if I don't even, Billy Idol's there, I don't even need a recording studio, man. I have a pair of headphones. <laughs> You know I don't what I mean? Legs. Yeah, I don't even need legs. Like I won't handle do it, and like that's all he done. So yeah, uh, the, I, I honest to God think that there was some sort of like kind of where we are now, where someone like me and you can make shit in our fucking gaffs, and like depending on how much time you want to put into it, like you can if you want to put two years into fucking messing around with it, you can get a sound and pretty fucking decent, you know, and for minimal costs, like you can get it up to like a really good spec. But this is the yeah. early eighties. Like, stuff is fucking garbage. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's dirt. Yeah. It doesn't sound good. Craftwork sounded good because the lads were, like, pulling cables out of ceilings and plugging it into the fucking national grid. And, like, it wasn't just a lad with a keyboard. They would fucking tons of keyboards and machines and reel-to-reel machines running backwards. And, like, they were embracing actual plugged-in technology. The rest of these yeah. ones had one keyboard and maybe a computer. You know what I mean? And no one to tell them that that sounds really that That's shite, man. It's just because you've never heard it before doesn't mean it sounds good. You know what I mean? If me and you invented a new instrument tomorrow that was like, you stick a fucking party popper up a lizard's arse and put a microphone into its mouth and let it go and that's the new instrument. Just because we think it sounds cool doesn't mean the rest yeah. of the world is. You know what I mean? Nobody told them this. I'm going to play a bit of this computer age. Right? Yeah, you have to, yeah, I want to hear this. Yeah, I have to hear this. It's fucking mental. Have a listen to this.
compare that synthesizer, it sounds really nice. Like, but the mix um, is gorgeous. It's really yeah, well produced. It's real creamy, isn't it? It's um, some of it is like swamps too much in reverb, and that's coming from me. I put fucking <laughs> reverb. I put. Jeez, when I bring stuff, I, to, I bring stuff into the to the studio to the producer. It's just it takes all them reverbs off. It just masks my either voice or fucking. Yeah, I love reverb, but it, no one should use it. That's that's nice though. Actually, yeah. you can tell it's you can you can imagine that being played on like dirty brown guitars with little chords, play with oh, chords yeah. and brown shields. Yeah, hundred percent. Like Neil Young, that's Neil Young. It's just <laughs> it's, a robotic tra- like trans Neil Young some, from a computer like age. That sounds like someone just putting it into MIDI. <laughs> it does. It, it sounds like it sounds like uh, ELO playing Neil Young without yeah. the, without the fucking orchestra. Is what it sounds or else like. one of those uh, guitar tablature software uh, things going. Mm. Bow, 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 bow. Exactly. Do you remember yeah. those guitar tabs that would play guitar tab programs that would play? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah, yeah. Try to learn a song. Them. Guitar Pro. Yeah, oh, yeah. Guitar Pro. Uh, I used to. What I used to do was sometimes when I was with that band that did covers. Yeah, you know the band, and uh, I would take tablature. Sometimes they would put the uh, keyboard tablature in. It actually be quite good. I would take it, take the MIDI, bring it back in, and learn it just through the MIDI that was on the thing. Because oh, I yeah. don't know how to pick and mm. learn bits on keyboards. But yeah, yeah, that stuff's good. So uh, yeah, that's Neil Young with Computer Age after the album translate. The, even the album cover is deadly. Um, it is. It's really. It's one of those, it's, it's one of those looks like spray. Uh, yeah, something's spray been inside of a fucking rapist's van. That's what it looks like. You know, airbrushed fucking van. Yeah. Um, something my elf used to do in the 80s. Fucking airbrushing barbarians on the people's van. JK, the album's called Trans. Literally, JK Rowling's <laughs> least favourite Neil Young album. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the song's called Computer Age. It's, it's worth a listen because it's really fucking strange. Um, but yeah. it, it, again, it, you can tell it's Neil Young and you can tell that it was definitely written on traditional instruments and he just got paid yeah. his bollocks and decided I'm just going to have a bit of fun with this one because they're giving me a million for it anyway. Um, it was his yeah. 12th, 12th album and it came out in 1982. So, um, 12th. Yeah, 12th. And that was 82. Jesus. 82. Yeah. 82. So who's your, uh, who's your, uh, your last one, is it? It is your last one, yeah? This has been my last one, yeah. Okay, and it's yeah. Uh, Perry Farrell, Did You Forget? Now, this is a weird one because he, he's never not been electronic on his own, but this is the lead singer of Jane's Addiction. Like, yeah. Jane's Addiction are not electronic. They're absolutely not. Well, the yeah. later stuff maybe had a touch of it, but only because of this kind of shit. So I'm a massive, massive Giants Addiction fan. And um, I think they're, they possibly were too unique to be up there with the greats. Mm. And in the sense that they, there's some unique ones, like Queen are up there. Yeah. They're unique. But something about Giants Addiction, I don't know what it is. They are, I think they're like the bridge between Alice in Chains and Aerosmith. Mm. But a lot of people will say, please burn that bridge and never say that again. Because, <laughs> you know, well, I love Aerosmith. It's the second time we've mentioned Aerosmith in the podcast yeah. already. But they have that, they have punk, they've got grunge, and they've got sort of glammy kind of swagger. I love Jane's Addiction, man. It just, mm. do you know what? Ritual de la Habitual is my second favorite album of all time after Okay Computer. Mm. You've said that's that. How much I, that's how much, yeah. You love it. That, that's how much I love that. And I he also love, loves it. He loves it. Ask him, does he love it? Go on, ask him. He uh, fucking loves it. I also love Perry Farrell's <laughs> band, Porn Opera Pyros. I really yes. like them as well. I always like them as um, well. Yeah. So when his first proper, now look, his first solo album, this isn't his first solo album, but it fucking is. He had one called Rev, which had a kind of 
industrial, not kind of electric drum beat, and, and then the rest of it was just covers. So mm. not really. It was it was a money spinner. Rev was. I'm not mad into it. This is his first proper um, solo album, and it's called "Songs Yet to Be Sung" um, from 2001. Just give it a bash there. I did. I, I, this I I was shocked by this album when I first bought it. Right, I heard the single. Man. Heard the single, and, and I thought, okay, but this song is one where I went, "Holy shit!" <laughs> the right, fuck I'm is gonna, going on? I'm giving a blam here. Yeah. Yeah, it's mad. There's loads of electronic all over it, and I really, really, really like it. It's not an amazing album, but I yeah. love it, and it's solidified as a great album in my head because of nostalgia and me listening <laughs> to it. But I remember buying it. I remember getting an HMV the day it came out. Actually, I had to. Or I had to. This they weren't going to get it in. I had to. This is one of the ones I had to order. Special order. Uh, to have special order to have it ready. Yeah. Um, I just forgot about that, and it was mad expensive. It was like over when it imports. Twenty pound or something like yeah, that. Yeah, fucking import. Yeah. Remember import CDs? You thought you were you were like the holy grail. You're gonna find something fucking amazing. Ninety yeah. percent of the time, it's just some garbage compilation in yeah. Japanese. But like the first time I heard this, I was like, didn't know what to make of it because I liked electronic music at the time. Obviously, the time like mm. I was into the Chemical Brothers and stuff like that. Yeah. But I didn't know if I was ready to mix the beans and the peas mm. on the plate without being asked. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, but uh, the more I listened to it, the more I really, really liked that. And this isn't. This isn't even the best example of a lead singer of a huge band going out and directly into electronic music. Because yeah. for me, that'd be Ian Brown, and I was going to pick Ian Brown for this. Yeah. But I figured, I think I've picked Ian Brown before, and I'll pick him again. I'll never yeah, get yeah. to pick Perry Farrell's solo exactly, stuff yes. yeah. again. So yeah. I'll use this opportunity to get it in there. The album still has... Uh, like. The the Jane's Addiction guys, the hmm. Jane's Addiction guys at the time, uh, I think Eric Avery had left, so Martin Lenoble there, Stephen Perkins and Dave Navarro are, are all on this, and hmm. you can hear them, you can hear the drums especially. Now I don't know, I can't really tell, I can't really remember whether those drums are real. Probably a bit of both. It's silly, it's over the top. Uh, did it work critically? No, I don't think people really liked it critically. Perry Farrell is always going to, because he started Lollapalooza, he's always going to have influence. He probably sold a fuck ton of this album. I don't know mm. really what it sold. Um, it's, it's a mixed bag of mad shit. It's like someone threw a load of Lego and spiders into a bag. And <laughs> electrified. I was like, that's the sound of that. Okay, Grant. Mm. Uh, well, like, no one else sounds like that. 
Um, I love it. I love the aggression that he has on it. I love the silliness of him on it. Yeah. No, mm. I like this a lot. So it works for me in some sense. Did it work yeah. over? It's a, it, it hasn't, like some of the radio stuff, the, the electronic stuff hasn't dated well in it at all. Mm-hmm. It's stuck. It's fucking bits, you know, at the time it sounds good. But years later, much like the drums on Dangerous, Michael Jackson's album, I still don't think they're good. Yeah. They, some drum loops don't last. No. You know what I mean? No. They really no. don't. They just don't. You got you to gotta, you fucking be DJ Shadow or yeah. The Prodigy to make them shits. Yeah. Or Massive Attack to make your beats sound like they are going to last forever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's a short one. That's Perry Farrell. Grant. But uh, you have a last one, don't you? I have a fucking have a humdinger here. Um Did you save the best for last? No, I did not. Uh, uh, uh this is George Harrison with um a song called No Time or Space off a record called Electronic Sound. That's mad because in one of our podcasts before was a Sheep and Wolves clothing that yeah. we picked a song that doesn't sound like anyone I picked an electronic song by Paul McCartney. Yeah. But I didn't know that George Harrison had, had done. This is stuff. fucking mental, right? So this is 1969. Wow. Uh, 1960 fucking nine. And Seriously? The, yeah, yeah. The Beatles had, um, had been given their own cool. subsidiary label called Zapple. Oh. All right now, Zapple was designed to be their own label for like experimental stuff and uh, spoken word and poetry, whatever wouldn't be considered pop yeah. music, popular music. Now, I don't think it lasted very long. Anything Yoko ever came out with, yeah, exactly. It didn't last very long. This is <sighs> the last of maybe, maybe only two records are put out on Zapple. I'm not sure, but this is one really? of the last ones ever put oh, out. Okay, now okay. the entire record is two songs, right? Of course, uh. I think the entire thing runs at 43 minutes. This one right. song I picked is 25 play, minutes. Play the whole lot of it. Play the whole lot of it. Exactly. Well, uh, stick it on there. This one song is 25 minutes long. Now, to call it a song is a great disservice to songs. <laughs> oh! Right? Is it really that bad? It's not, it's not music, right? Um, right? Basically, Jesus Christ, how do I even explain this? Right? So the entire thing is performed on a Moog 3 synthesizer. Right? Mm. And uh, Harrison had a big hard on for the fucking milk. Apparently, he had like one of the first ones ever made. He had loaded. Yeah, he was minted. But he had one of the but first ones. To be ones. fair, they, they probably might have just given us one. <laughs> no, he had to buy it. Did he? He had to buy it. I'll tell you. I'm going to tell you exactly how much it is now in a few minutes as well. Did yeah, he? he had to buy it. They ended up using the milk on Abbey Road as well. Um, that's how much of a fan he was of it. And yeah. that he was able to, he, he was able to figure out getting into some Beatles stuff. So this is mental. This track, what you're going to hear now in a minute, um, wasn't even written by George Harrison, right? Really? I'm going to play a bit of it and come back and tell you. Now I'm 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 literally going to let this roll for thirty seconds because it's just noise, right? It's absolute, <laughs> it's absolute, it's garbage. Right, wait to hear this.
quite enough of that. Um, it's 25 minutes of that. Wank. Yeah, 25 minutes of that. Now, here's where it gets interesting. So that's side A to George Harrison, Electronics Hound in 1969. That there is the Moog 3 synthesizer that the Moog salesman brought to Los Angeles to play for George Harrison. So they sent out a team of engineers, because these things had to be assembled, sent out a team of engineers to whatever recording studio that Harrison had fucking propped up or was set up in, in LA. And it arrives in, let's say, on a Thursday, and they install it. And the salesman is going to arrive on the Friday to run Harrison through it. But on the sly, Harrison like ro- figures out where the line out goes and plugs it into a tape machine, right? Yeah. So when the salesman arrives, he comes in and starts talking to Harrison and he starts messing around with it, saying, like, and it does this, and it does blah, 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 all the time on the sly without the salesman knowing Harris is recording. Harrison is recording <laughs> the entire thing, right? So I keep saying Harris because I read Harrison instead of Harrison in shorthand. Yeah. So... George is recording the whole fucking thing on the sly. Now, the salesman, the main salesman in the US for Moog was a guy called Bernie Krause, who was a really well-respected musician in his own right. He had a group called uh, Beaver and Krause, who were like a pioneering electronic duo, who were signed right. to Warner Brothers, right? Now, he ended up fucking, he ended up, I think he might have even sued Harrison because there was stuff that he played on the Moog that was going to end up on their next album or something like that. So Harrison had to put, um, Plus Bernie Cruz on the or Bernie Krause on the the uh, fucking label or something like that to try and <laughs> get around it. Just being but, a salesman, all of a sudden you're on uh, Apple subsidiary. Exactly, with George Harrison. Yeah, so he uh, Bernie had made George take his name off altogether then as well. Like what you're listening to now is a, a, a remix. I don't know what I don't what oh, there is well, the remix. Well. Um, Ooh, now not well. a remix, but a, like a remaster version. This is a 2014 mix of it. Um, uh, the, the second side was a song that uh, he actually wrote that George Harrison wrote um, I don't even know what the name of the second song is who cares because they're not, they're not songs um, he must have had to throw something out onto that label for in, in a certain amount of time or something maybe I think this is just because the whole idea behind Zapple was uh, if everything was mad weird and odd um, like it wasn't allowed that sounds, to pop, that sounds pop very music. forced uh, yeah, but what what that is, what that's that song in air quotes, bunny ears, now time or space is, is twenty five minutes of a couple of hours worth of demos that your man Bernie Krause messed around with, and they chopped it up, <laughs> they chopped it up on tape or whatever on reel, and made twenty five minutes of just noise and because you have to remember it's nineteen sixty nine, nobody's heard this shit really, so yeah. when when this was released, like loads of people thought that this was amazing. Lo- like loads of critics were like that's fucking that like, again that's the future that is like there's actual reviews saying like it's amazing to see George Harrison like one of the biggest musicians in the world like taking this new synth- synthesizer this Moog 3 and like you know g- giving it the fucking putting the wheels underneath it surely everybody on earth is going to want a Moog now every serious musician is going to want a Moog if George yeah. Harrison now he did end up buying that model and he had it shipped to his gaff in London. But it cost the equivalent of $60,000. What? $60,000. That's why it only got big in the fucking 80s. Yep. 
And it could be done. That, that is madness. That's a big yeah. supercomputer, though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, pretty much, yeah. It's a big joint out cables and all hanging over. Um, $60,000, and uh, he had to have it shipped and installed as well. It's like that. Um, there's a Japanese company that makes speakers. And um, I heard music through these speakers. So there's a place um, called the Listening Suite. It used to be on Wicklow Street in Dublin. Yeah, was, I went. And, I bought I bought. Uh, that's where I bought my Riga. Yeah, you got your, your RP1 or whatever out there. It's great, great yeah, shop, yeah. yeah. Great shop. Um, I went out there a couple of times. I never bought it off your man. I felt bad because it's just, I had I had enough turntables and all his amps and speakers were insane money. But he had... Um, oh, they were mad. Like, I remember t- he was like, what speakers is this going to? And I told him I was getting like fucking diamond. He's like, yeah, yeah a lot of people go for them as a cheaper option. I'm like, you <laughs> yeah. me, I'm not fucking rich, mate. Exactly. It was so really cheeky, but I know he was trying to do. He was like, did you think about these speakers? I went, no. Yeah, they're 800 quid each. Well, yeah. You think about like upgrading this? No, like no. you know, I'm gonna have a fucking budget. Like I really exactly, do. yeah. That's that's the thing. Yeah, you like me and you are consumer electronics people. You know what I mean? He's a specialist kind of guy. But I went no, up there. Fair one place day. He wants to get a bigger sale, but ask me, Swiss. We had this room. He had an upstairs room that was like their listening room. So the, the shop's called the Listening Suite, and they sell high yeah. equipment. And they had this room up above where he had these two speakers that the likes of which I've never seen before. They were like two big fridge freezers, maybe even bigger. And there were on these like giant spikes, like the, the stand was these like four giant spikes that were um, sitting on top of these big concrete slabs. And uh, he had a couch in the middle of the room. And um, he said, do you want to hear something through the, I can't remember what they were called, like Okinawa or Okinawa Ok-N- or whatever the fuck they were called. And it wasn't Okinawa, that's a normal. It wasn't, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, they're, no, they're, they're, they're great. They're, they're great, but they're not known yeah. to be. yeah. Mental money. Yeah, this is some other fucking Japanese company. And uh, he said, no, do you want to hear something? I said, all right, yeah. And he put on, I think it was like Ella Fitzgerald or something like that. And um, I sat there for, honestly, about 20 minutes. Crying. It, was, crying, I wasn't man. far off it. I'm not, no word of a lie. I never wow. heard anything like it. It was like she was in the room with me. That's how good it was. Yeah. And um, I said to him, I was like, how much are these speakers? He said, uh, 10 grand. I went, 10 grand. And he was like, oh, 10 grand each. <sighs> 10 grand each for speakers. And he said, oh, yeah, and you can't just buy them. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, no, it's like another 10 grand because um, the company from Japan, like if you buy these at me, you have to spend another small fortune because they send an engineer out to your house to set the speakers up. And, and treat the room probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they come in with all this equipment to run all these fucking like uh, sonic analyzers and find the best place. Well, yeah, if you think room. about it, like I probably haven't got my hi-fi set up the best way it could be. Like, so if they're selling no one does. It's like Guinness sending someone out to fix the lines, make sure mm. their product as is, best as possible. Yeah, mm. mad though. But uh, I know they're they're the speakers that Henry Rollins has because I, I heard an interview with Rollins before, and he said his house is essentially empty because he's never home. So what he has, mm. he's got a bedroom, uh, a little kitchen that's fuck all in it, and the biggest room in the house is uh, he's got two of those speakers and uh, a couch, and then uh, the rest of the house is full of records. And that's cool. He just fucking that's his. The only reason he even goes home is to listen to records. He said, "That's it." I want to do that. I want to have a gaff for that. <laughs> yeah, it's ten grand the pop speakers. I'm sure there's like fifteen grand the pop fucking versions now. Anyway, yeah, but, he did used to live in like a real rough area, didn't he? <laughs> mm, um. So that was George Harrison with um Electronic Sounds the album again. Mm. Um, in commas, uh, like it's it's garbage, but. It's, it's good to know. It's good to experience it and then know. And then at least if someone asks you, like what's, what's the yeah. worst thing uh, George Harrison ever made? You can say, well, he didn't even write it. <laughs> it was, he, he robbed it off a fucking salesman. Um, mm. That's it for this week. 
Um, that's that interesting we picked uh, less, less songs and we're still over two hours we are way over two hours yeah I'm that's mad we paid, yeah. paid samples as well which that's which is true about, I, looked, I added it up there's around about half an hour worth of fucking samples oh well round about that no so, it couldn't be maybe there is actually it's 20 odd minutes I just done the quick the yeah, quick yeah. gobshite maths on well, me look, on, on me now, uh, yeah that's our do the robot <laughs> yes do you know what it's, if, you, if you liked that one you liked the episode uh, keeping up with the kids, which is when bands change their sound to a more modern style. Yes. So this was more electronic based, and uh, yeah, I know Aerosmith and Machine Head. I think are in the other one we talked. Yeah, about. very much. Um, so yeah, that was that. that's it for it. this week. Um, we done TV on Saturday. Gone. I hope it went well. Um, we're recording this <laughs> pre TV, but you're going to hear it post TV. And um, we're yeah. back again on Saturday with something, and then we're back again next Monday with some more podcasts. Um, if you like what we do, you can go to lostartpodcast.com. If you really like what we do, you can subscribe to our Patreon, which is five euros or five dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash lostartpodcast. And there's links um, in this podcast in the feed. Uh, wherever you get your podcast there's links to supporting us we've got like a Ko-Fi um, account as well which is a, it's done in $3 increments as well if you just want to tip us for our work because we need some money none of us are working it is bullshit um, but uh, th- thanks to everybody for helping us out people have been sharing uh, like Maniacs last week which is great and uh, people yeah yes it is we guilted you we, we guilted the fuck out yes, and people uh, really helped us out last Saturday with a radio show as well um, for the first time ever um, a lot of people Shit, actually like a whole, gave us like 110 quid oh, something like that yeah no I'm sure um, much it was but yeah that's fucking nice one yeah, it's great. that'll help fucking a shitload considering I was able uh, to eat this week <laughs> he didn't have to go foraging for berries for real honest to god although I did eat, I did find some cakes car- he didn't have to eat a carrot out of a skip <laughs> exactly I did find some despite, cupcakes despite um, on the road had taught him. <laughs> exactly um, I did find cupcakes <laughs> on the road but I let the dogs have them oh, um, god so uh, yeah that's it that's it for this week Uh, back again next week with more podcasts thank you very much Uh, good night see ya